Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Today, we are here with Bill Cushing. Bill, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. So would you take us back to the beginning? I know this is not your personal cancer story, but you were the caregiver. So can you kind of fill us in on who this story is about and where did it begin for the two of you? Well, it's interesting because it actually started, we were dating at the time. And I was at work. I, I was actually going to school. Um, I was at the university and I was on the school newspaper. And I got this call from Anna, who was my girlfriend at the, at the moment. And she said she had felt something in her breast that night. So I said, well, look, let me wrap things up. And we'll, I'll get back. You know, I'll get over to you as soon as I can. Got over there. And so, indeed, there was a problem there. Um, what do you mean by problem? And so... In other words, feeling the node. So you could feel it uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. And so we immediately set up the doctor's appointments and all this other stuff. How old were the two of you? Oh, boy. I was 41. I think she was 42. I think she was a year older than me. Okay. Um, so we're in our early 40s. Uh, and so it got diagnosed. It, it We go through, you know, the mastectomy uh, the chemo, all that other stuff. Now, how long ago was uh, this? Now, oh, this was 1992, 93. So what were the treatments so like been, back in the early 90s for breast cancer? Actually, she handled it fairly well, I thought. I mean, she, because one of the things, she was always proud of her hair. And that was her big thing was she would stand in front of the mirror going, don't fall out, don't fall out. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, it didn't. Uh, she survived that fairly well. Wait, which wait, her hair did not uh, fall out? No, no. And she no, had chemotherapy? Not. And the chemo. We went through the chemo and everything. We were in Orlando. I was at the University of Central Florida. We went through Orlando. And, and in fact, um, one of the things I wrote about was the Orlando Regional Medical Center where, where she got her treatment, which was excellent, I thought. Um, but yeah, we, we went through the chemo. She seemed to be clean. Uh, she checked out okay. Uh, and I was getting close to graduation. And she came to me and said, look, I, I want to go home. She was Puerto Rican. She says, I, I'd like to go home when you're done. I said, well, you know, I'm going to teach, so it doesn't matter where I am. Uh, so, yeah, no problem. We, we wrap things up. We moved down there to Puerto Rico. And then about probably eight, nine months in, she started having problems again with eating, with digestion, holding food down, that sort of thing. How long did those problems go on? Uh, longer than they should have, as far as I'm concerned, because the guy she was seeing as a doctor kept saying, oh, it's just an ulcer. It's just an ulcer. Don't worry about it. So he didn't know what and, was wrong uh, with her. And, and I was, well, that's a whole other story there, because I was like, didn't he look at your medical records at all? Um, because by the time we figured out, I mean, she couldn't hold anything down, but maybe Rice Krispies, strawberries, things like that. 
And finally, at one point, she was bloating, all this stuff. And I just said, look, I'm no doctor, but that's no ulcer, for God's sakes. You know, let's get to a hospital, do an ultrasound or or whatever they can do. And and they did. And I'm watching the screen and there's all these black splotches coming up. And I'm just like, this is not good. I mean, here again, I'm no medical technician, but I can look at a picture. It's like, you know, something's wrong. So we went back to Orlando, or she flew up to Orlando, started treatments again with uh, Dr. Kata was the guy's name, the uh, the doctor, she, the oncologist. She so, so I'm going to go back just a uh, second, because I, I didn't even get into the deep yeah. dive on the treatments the first time, but this time, so is this, her breast cancer has returned? Is that what had happened? Well, now it's in the stomach. The yeah, the cancer returned, but now it's in the stomach. In the stomach. Yeah. So and what so, was the timeline between when she finished treatment? the first time, and then she started treatment the second time. How much time had passed? Probably be a year. Okay. Maybe a, yeah, a little over a year because she, we were 10 months there when she started having the problems. Probably about three or four months after that was when I said, look, let, let's go back to Orlando, right. go to Dr. Kata, and, and let's try him again, see what he does. What was the uh, treatment plan given that it was metastatic? He just, he just told me, he says, look, I'm just going to go very aggressive with the chemo okay. and let's see what we can do. Um, I was, I had to stay there cause I was finishing up. I was teaching high school and I had to finish up the semester cause I think we flew her up in May. So I only had like three or four weeks left and I'll never forget this. I, I call him up. So you had to stay in Puerto Rico and, just for people. Yeah, I was into. still there. Okay. She went to Orlando. She entered the, the, the regional center. Are you guys married at this um, point? No, no, we okay. weren't married then. Um, but I call his office and this is where I knew things were bad. Uh, I call the office. The, the receptionist says, well, he's in with another patient. I said, well, let me just leave him a message. I left my name and she immediately goes, oh, just a minute. Now, no doctor ever interrupts a consult with a patient right. when they're live. And so right away, I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> what made it worse was the minute he got on the phone, the first words to me were, I'm sorry. Yeah. And that, at that point, I knew, you know, it's all over. Um, so I went back up there. We flew back down, came back down. Uh, it was one of those just make her as comfortable as you can. And uh, that was in, oh, God, May. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. We were married at the point she got the diagnosis because we married in May. She went up there in May. Uh, but the second our time? marriage, I was. Hmm? The second time you were married? Yeah, the second okay. time. Yeah. Yeah. It was after we, right after we were married when I finally said, look, we got to do something on this. So, right. Yeah. My timeline's off there. Um what else but, did the uh, doctor say after? I mean, after he said, I'm sorry, what did he actually say to you? He just said, he said, it's, it's not taking, uh, the best you can do is just get her home, get her comfortable and get ready. And I said, okay, and well, that's where what we did are. she say? I mean, what, how did she react to this? Um, she had, that's a tough one to figure out because she was so worn out at that point. I think, you know, it was like, whatever happens, happens. She wasn't, you know, even thinking about it. I mean, by the time when I went up to get her, she had probably dropped 30 pounds of weight at that wow. point. And she wasn't very And it was only a couple of with. weeks that she had been up there. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. But, uh, 
I always like to mention too that that marriage did not last too long. It was, I think, eighty-four days was how long we were married before she died. Oh, um, Bill, but, uh, how long had you guys been together? Um, since ninety-one. So it was a four-year, I, I guess, three or four years we were together. Okay. Um, but uh, anyway, but yeah, it was just one of those things where the timing was wrong. What can you do? Uh, well, maybe the timing was but, right, uh, right? Maybe she needed you. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I like to think that too. Uh, in fact, that's one of the things that, that you know, uh, I've written about was the fact that, yeah, I was glad I was there. And, and her, she had two children from another marriage. And they, you know, we still stay in touch. I still stay in touch with her oh, brother. That's amazing. Uh, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it was a short relationship, but, you know, it was a good one. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, and that's one of the things, uh, I, like I mentioned, I, 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 at the time I was working on my MFA, uh, in writing and I was, oh, I have when one I as first well. started, <laughs> oh, do you? Yeah. okay. Okay. Well, I was, at, I was at Goddard. Um, but at any rate, my initial plan was to write a novel about, I had worked for years at shipyards. And I said, I want to write a book about that. We were working on it and then I got home and then we went through the process and found the cancer. So after she died, I immediately called them and said, look, I'm taking a semester off. I just got to get things together. Yeah. Um, and um, when I got back, I said, forget the novel. This is what I want to do. And I want to write a memoir about her, our relationship. And mostly from the point of view of one of the things I found when we were going through it, and I think it's probably changed significantly by now, so I may be behind the curve on this. Maybe not. But uh, uh, there were plenty of books out there for people with the disease. There was not much for the people dealing with it as an outsider. Yeah. And I said, this is how I want to write this book. Is like, if you're going through this, here are just some of the things you can probably expect to run into, uh, you know, especially with the death. Yeah. So I want to dig so, into that. Were you or, or was your wife, were you religious? I mean, did you, did you have those conversations? She was. Okay. She, she was fairly religious and, and my wife now is very religious. So I always say, yeah, I've always let them handle the spiritual side. You're religious adjacent. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. But you have to, uh, you know, I grew up, my father was an atheist. My oh, mom my goodness. Wow. was, was fairly religious. She got much more religious toward the end of her life. But yeah, we were not a church going household. Uh, I did go to schools that were religious, but uh, that here again was more for the education than anything else. Right. And I, I, I'm, I'm not very religious. I guess agnostic is the best way to put it as, you know, I, I don't doubt there's a God, but I don't live my life as, you know, as though there is one. So, um, and, and I, I, you know, obviously see the need for it. I think it's a really good thing. It helped her quite a bit, I think. How, how did it help uh, her? I think she, you know, it, it's interesting. I think it made her more ready that she was looking toward something. Uh, I can which, see that. Uh, yeah, is, and I think that is the upside of it, is that, you know, I, I am going to a better place, uh, you know, but... Uh, 
But it, it was interesting. I think one thing, it was funny, though. One of the things that sort of bucked her up when, you know, as we were going through this was when I first got to Puerto Rico, I took the first teaching job I could get, which was a connection that she had. It was a small school, private school, but uh, uh, I ended up, though, after the first year, before we were even done, I said, look, I'm going to look elsewhere because I'm really not that happy here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not making enough money. Uh, you know, it's just kind of weird to me. So I got hired by another school out on the east end of the island on Fajardo, Fajardo Academy. It's just a, another small private school. But, um, you know, just it seemed a better fit for me. And she was really looking forward to it. She was like, oh, it's, you know, it was down. I don't know if you're familiar with Puerto Rico at all, but you got El Junque, which is the rainforest there. Uh, a few miles east of that is Luquillo Beach, maybe one of the more popular beaches on the island. Well, this is where I was looking was a few miles past Luquillo uh, in Fajardo. Uh, which is on the very eastern tip of the island. And so she was really pumped for that. <laughs> but but uh, unfortunately, she never made it out there. But uh, yeah, because she died in July, I believe. Yeah, the end of July. Um, so yeah, it, it was tough. It, it wasn't as long as it might have been. I mean, I, I know, you know, I... I the first time I'd encountered cancer on a one-to-one -one basis was my grandmother. And I always remembered that. How and, old were you uh, when your grandmother had cancer? Oh, God, I was like 11. Okay, that Maybe makes an impression. It old. does. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's one of my least proud moments of my life. <laughs> but uh, because when she was when my grandmother was diagnosed, she, she was in the hospital. And finally, she, you know, because we had always, I mean, she was like my favorite in the family <laughs> and stuff. And finally, my parents said, look, it, it's almost time. Let's take him in to see her one last time. Well, when I got in there, she had been so ravaged by the disease that I, you know, and I'm like 11 years old. I just looked, I said, that's not my grandmother. Oh. And walked out. Oh. And I've never really forgiven myself for it, even though my mom told me, she said, hey, as soon as you walked out, she said, look, I understand. It's okay. You know, um, yeah, you have to forgive yourself she was for that. the prototypical, I mean, she was the stereotypical, you know, big woman, you know, knitting in the corner of <laughs> a rocking chair. You know, that's always my memory of her. And seeing her just wasted like yeah. Uh, in fact, here again, I don't know if I sent you any of the writings, but that was one of the one of the poems I've written, which is called "Recalling Their Smiles." I start with her, oh. and and then move into my wife, and then a friend, and then my brother-in-law, who also died of cancers. But it, it, yeah, it's one of those diseases that it, I don't think anybody's unaffected by it. Oh, I know a few people. And I like to think that oh, really? they just I mean, haven't been affected yet, right? They just, but, yeah, but I know yeah, a few people who have had no contact whatsoever with family or friends. Yeah, it is unusual after a certain age, especially, but, um, but I know, I know a few people and, and until you experience it more intimately, yeah. it's hard to understand, I think for most people. Yeah. Bill, you already mentioned not finding support. How is your experience as a caregiver different than your wife, Anna's, as a patient? 
Well, since I can't speak from the one perspective, how do I say? No, um, just speak from your I perspective. Think, yeah, one of the things I think was really to an advantage was Puerto Rican families are very tight. Uh, you know, that, that's a whole different culture down there, even though, yes, it's an American territory. Right. But, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you know, we stayed with her her father and, and her mom, or she did. I, I stayed in the house where we were living, and I just went over there. But, uh, yeah, that, that was one thing I think helped a lot. Uh, the... Uh, I think the, the, the thing that bugged me the most, and I say that the doctor she was going to first was apparently a friend of a friend. And, and uh, I had never visited with her. And then finally, when it got that bad and, you know, we went in and we needed the transfer and stuff. So we had to go visit him one time and we go over to his house. The guy had to weigh 300 pounds, maybe more. He's, it's 10 in the morning. He's eating a grilled cheese sandwich. I came out of there. I said, you were taking advice on health oh from this guy. <laughs> I agree. I, said, no, I agree. Yeah. I'm like, the guy's a heart attack waiting to happen. Oh my <laughs> I like, gosh. I mean, I can't speak much now because I've gained weight in my <laughs> older age, but I mean, my God, this guy was only in his forties. I'm looking at him going, oh my Lord, I wouldn't take health advice from you on anything. <laughs> Bill, but, uh, Bill, when you think about your wife, mm -hmm. if you could hold on to one memory forever, what would it be and why? Oh, God, that's, uh, well, whew. something just popped into your probably, head first. So what was it? Probably, I, I would say there was a day we, when we were in Orlando, we, we spent a day in St. Augustine, um, which is a beautiful city and she had never been i said well you got it you got to hit st augustine when you're living in florida uh there was another moment and actually i've still got the picture and if i ever get the book out i do want to use it hopefully as the cover uh where we were at el junque she was at little minna which is one of the waterfalls there and she's just being doused by the water and she's got this look on her face like she was like so happy at that moment it's a, it's a really cool shot so uh, those two, I would say, yeah, the, the St. Augustine trip and then the time we spent up at El Junque. Uh, but there were a lot of little moments. I mean, she had a cousin who lived in the middle of the island up in the mountains. We used to go there all the time. Uh, had a great time there. I was from Jacksonville originally. Okay. Or not originally, but I lived there before I transferred to Central Florida, the university. Uh, so we took a lot of trips to Jacksonville and she had a gas up there. Uh, so those are the things, yeah, probably that I recall the most. Uh, What's one thing you wish you had known at the beginning of the journey of that, that first time when she was first diagnosed? You know, I think this is one of those cases where, you know, ignorance may be the best thing. Uh, you, you deal with it as it comes, uh, to be honest. I mean, you know, it's just... I want to know what's going on to the extent that I can know, uh, but I don't know. If, I, I don't think foreknowledge is always that great a thing. <laughs> it might prevent you from doing something you would otherwise try. And, and I think that, you know, I mean, would I have even asked her out had I known that, you know, four years, four years down the line, yeah, she would have been gone. 
uh, you know, there's that possibility. I, I like to think I'm a better person than that, but you know, we don't know what we are. That's what I mean when I say foreknowledge. Yeah, that's, it, it, you know, well, maybe, it's kind of like when somebody. Well, think of it this way. So maybe not knowledge of what was going to happen, but, but when she was diagnosed, mm-hmm. is there anything in particular that you think knowing, knowing earlier that maybe you discovered oh. later through trial and error, is there anything that you mm. wish you had known? And what would that be? I wish the only thing I can say is I wish that doctor had paid attention to her records. And, and that's, go. I think the biggest thing had we caught it right away, it might've made a difference. It might not have because, uh, because of the fact that, you know, he said, ulcer. Oh, we just bought into that and it took, you know, months before and like I say, that was just my thing. I kept looking at her and say, look, nobody lives on Rice Krispies and strawberries and gains weight. That's <laughs> or, right. Or gains bulk. Yeah. You know, so I was like, I don't know what's going on, but it, it, I'm not buying that it's an ulcer. It's just, Got it. yeah. And uh, what about if you could only do one thing, Bill, to improve health care in the U.S., what would it be and why? Well, I, I'm a big believer in preventative care. Uh, I think that's probably and and that's on the person you you got to take care of it yourself Uh, for my own you know for myself i know we've had several instances of glaucoma in the family so i'm always you know rigorously going through those eye tests that stuff uh the only cancer we've had was my grandmother um and uh so i'm not overly worried about that but of course you know i go through the you know the regular tests and all that stuff and keep an eye on it. But, uh, but yeah, I really think, you know, you've got, it's funny. You've got to be, this is something you hear a lot, but you got to be your own advocate. You've got to be the one. Yeah. In fact, when I was doing my master's, one of the books I read was uh, Anatoly Broyard wrote a book called uh, Intoxicated by My Illness. Ooh, that sounds interesting. It's, yeah, it's a fascinating book, but he, um, it's a diary he kept as he was dying of cancer. And one of the things I loved in there, he talks about, he says, look, if I want my doctor to be a magician, I better be a very good patient. And I thought that was a really good way. You know, I'm expecting this doctor to give me a lot of stuff. I better be able to give him something. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've really held on to that uh, really tightly. Oh, uh, I like that a lot. And it's, it's true. But, uh, it, it's true. You have to be a good patient doesn't mean being compliant, but it does mean yeah. advocating oh, yeah. for yourself. No, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. some doctors would define a good patient as doing any, everything they say to tell well, them to do. Well, it's kind of getting, getting off your topic. Our son now, with my, my wife now, we have a son who's very severely disabled oh. and spent like three weeks in the NICU. And I spent every minute I wasn't up in the room with him in the, in the uh, medical library looking stuff up about the diagnoses that he had and learning as much as I could. That's amazing. Uh, so, and I, I do have to laugh because, you know, here again, because we are parents of a, dis- a disabled person, we meet a lot of others and they always say, well, you've got to be an advocate for your child. you got to be an advocate for your child. I, say, I am not an advocate for my child. I am a pit bull for my That's child. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, you do. You do have to be an absolute pit yeah. bull. You absolutely do. Um, yeah. All right, Bill, are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? Let's see what I can do here. Okay. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. 
I thought so with Puerto Rico, but wasn't sure. Uh, Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Stones. What is one word that best describes you? Determined. And see, Pitbull came to my mind, so we were on the same page. Same page. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Before I die? Mm -hmm. Oof. Probably anything by David Byrne would probably do. Okay. What about the last meal you want to eat? Oh, Italian, probably. Although I, I really need to say Peruvian since I'm married to one now. <laughs> what about the last person or people you want to see? Probably my best man and my wife, obviously. And the last words you will speak. Here we go. <laughs> and aside from Cancer U, what's a, one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And also please tell people how they can get in touch with you. Um, I think the best resource is other, I, and I'm sure there's a lot of support groups now. And those, I found those very good with our son. Uh, you know, uh, they obviously weren't available at that time for me. Also on the island, it's a, you know, a whole different vibe there. Um, so I think, yeah, talking with other people, and I find that helps now here again, like I say, with our son, uh, talking with other people or going through the same, you know, who have kids with the same diagnosis. Yeah. So I think that's, and then there's a lot of good, one of the books I, when I teach um, my freshman comm class, the centerpiece is Sherwin Newland's book, How We Die, which I think is one of the greatest books ever written on mortality. I mean, uh, uh, when I read that, it's been here again, I read it when I was doing my master's and it became part of my reading list. And after I read it, I, I must have bought 10 copies and just send it out to like my folks, my sister, friends, and said, you gotta read this thing because now that's that's interesting because that's where the foreknowledge I think comes in handy, knowing because what do you, I I don't know are you familiar with that book at all? No, I'm like, I am like mentally adding it to my Amazon wish list as we speak. You need to read it. <laughs> He's a doctor out of Yale, I believe, and he takes the six most likely statistically most likely ways each of us will die, and walks you through the mechanics of the breakdown of the body. Whoa. Wow. But then he also throws in, but it's not just that, he gets into religion, he gets into art, philosophy, just all kinds of things. An incredibly well-written book, incredibly comprehensive. And I think it's it's that idea of, all right, if I know going in what's going on, I can handle it a little better, I think. Uh, I think my, my dad's sister, she died of cancer as well, my aunt, and, and I had to laugh with her because they gave her six months and she said, well, then if that's it, that's it. She and her husband, uh, they just traveled the world. I said, okay, nice. this is it. Let's let's go around the world. And she ended up living uh, an additional eight months, I think. It was well over a year before she passed away. So uh, I think, you know, here again, having that knowledge up front, I think, really helps. Yeah. Yeah. How and that, that might be the other thing. Get a good doctor that you're comfortable with. Okay. <laughs> Somebody will shoot straight with you. I think that's really important. I think it's important too. And, and I, I tell people, you can always find another doctor if you just don't gel with that doctor. And just because yeah. he or she may be the best of the best of the best doesn't mean they're the yeah. best one for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And how can people find you and find your poetry? Well, uh, actually, uh, well, my books are on Amazon under my name. Okay. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll give you the email, which anybody can write to if they want to get a hold of stuff, uh, which is the Pisces Poet at Yahoo. And it's P-I-S-C-E-S-P-O-E-T at Yahoo. Uh, are you a Pisces? I have to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So and, you and, have you a know, birthday coming up here? Yeah. That, actually, it's funny. Mine is the seventh. My wife's is the ninth. And our son is the 23rd. Although technically he's not. A he's, a, he's, he's on the cusp the there. Side. He's the Aries. Yeah. 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 So uh, you and your wife are both but, Pisces. Uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, uh, and I, I have to give real props to her, too, because she knew going in that I was coming out of this. And, and one of the things I always, and I've since I had a, Anna was a, an artist and I've still got a couple of her pieces, but I had one monster painting, oil painting she had done of one of the beaches in, in Puerto Rico. And yeah, you know, when we got married, I said, look, do you mind if I bring these up with me? And she said, no, absolutely not. It hung in our bedroom for quite a number of years. I finally decided about three years ago, I, I, contacted her daughter and said, look, I think you should have it next. So Aww. I'm going to ship this thing to you. Um, That's so sweet. So, uh, but I kept some of the, you know, there's some smaller pieces. Uh, in fact, if you don't mind, why not? This is one of the ceramics that she did. Oh, uh, wow. It's almost like a shadow box type thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, you know, based on the <laughs> island, obviously. Uh but yeah, it's funny because my wife now says, look, how can I hold it against you? I know I wouldn't be with you if she was still alive. So, you know, uh, oh, that's so understanding. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's been very good. Well, going into 27 years now. Wow. So, yeah. Well, Bill, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing Anna's story, but also just sharing your story as a caregiver. Yeah. Thanks. It's, Thanks. It's a different and role. if anybody wants, I, I do have a, a couple of things posted online that like I have some poems about her and then some some shorter, not, you know, prose pieces about one about her last few days. Uh, and then uh, another one, like I said, about the hospital. And it was more a salute to the nurses. It's when you know, I realized that the doctors treat the disease, the nurses treat the patients. Oh, 100 percent. Well, Bill, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university and hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.